Welcome to episode 63 from the Shed M podcast with myself, T-Dot. Theo, how are you doing? Not bad. It's been, the last couple of weeks have been a bit up and down with work and some personal stuff, but I'm happy to talk Chelsea here on my lunch break. Uh, it's been a, it's been a long time, I feel. So it was nice to dust off my, my mic and get it out and hopefully enjoy talking about Chelsea and some of our best moments and our season, end of season review now. How have you been doing? Yeah, not bad. Not bad, you know, usual. Um, missing football. I mean, the Nations Leagues, it was cutting it for like the first weekend of no football, but watching sort of, uh, I think I watched Slovakia and uh, <laughs> Serbia last night, I think. So, um, yeah, I'm struggling. And I watched Canadian football after that. I don't know what league it was, but it was just on BT. So I just stuck it on. But <laughs> not, not, that, not tempted by Soccer Aid then? No, do you know, I, I did put it on. I did try, but I just I just can't get my head around it. I just, yeah, yeah. It's just too much for me to try. And, I did see a clip, I think, um, I can't remember. I think his name is named Mark Wright, I think. was yeah. taking a penalty and Chunks wanted the penalty. and that, I did check see, and like, goal as well. Yeah, I, I mean, he should be, he should be, dealing with the transfers to be fair but um yeah i think it's all for a good cause isn't it but i just yeah i, I can't bring myself to sort of watch it but yeah apart from that i'm good i'm good, good. and good. we're here doing another podcast off not our final one but the final one relating to the season but for anyone who's listening on the audio version please make sure you go to youtube and subscribe to the channel um it's slowly growing so Thanks for everyone who is watching the videos or liking or commenting on the videos as well. We appreciate that. But if you're on YouTube, make sure you go to Spotify as well and click the follow button. And also at the bottom of the screen, you will see the social media accounts. So again, Instagram and Twitter, make sure you follow those accounts as well. But let's get straight into it, Theo. Let's talk about Todd Bowley, first of all, because we haven't really mentioned... We, we obviously made a massive effort not to get drawn into the guess who's of who's going to be the takeover, who's going to be... In the, the successful person to take over Chelsea after Roman Abramovich, but Todd Bowley's come in now, Clear Lake as well, part of the the sort of merged um, ownership of Chelsea. But what's your thoughts going forward now with new ownership? Ten years minimum, I think, in terms of Todd Bowley being at the helm. What What do you think? I'm just happy it's all wrapped up now. Um, we have to remember we've been in a situation since almost mid March, so it felt like it was dragging on in those last couple couple of weeks and it's kind of glad I'm glad that it's all sorted before going into the transfer window and the summer and the new season as well because there was all those scary scary reports that we were going to get go bankrupt come the end of May we couldn't afford to play play uh, pay players wages in terms of Todd Bowley himself like I mentioned on one of the previous episodes I quite like his personality the fact he was in in attendance at the Chelsea Real Madrid game Chelsea Wolves and Chelsea Leicester games he seemed quite animated in full support of the team and also he seems like he's gonna he's willing to pump some money into the club as well, and not just in the men's first team squad, but also the academy, the the women's team, the Cobham facilities, um, the redevelopment potentially of Stanford Bridge as well. So there's a lot of positives from the takeover. And also, like I said, it's just something now that was kind of a weight on our shoulders, all that kind of those scary stories of rival fans telling us, oh, Chelsea are going to go bust. Oh, Chelsea don't have a known anymore. Chelsea can't spend money this summer. All your star players are going to leave. It's, it was all a load of bullshit, if I'm honest. It was all yeah, a yeah. load of bullshit. And you look back at how we kind of, we had that gloomy episode, I think, mid, midway through March, almost like we were both depressed. And we look back at that now, um, we're pretty entitled to feel that way because we were saying farewell to Abramovich. We didn't really know what the future was looking like. It, it was very uncertain. But now that's all cleared up. Um, I'm glad we can kind of 
work towards something new now, build around what we've got. We've, we've said our farewells to the players like Christensen and Rudiger. So we've got to now focus on rebuilding and filling, filling those positions, centre-backs primarily, maybe a new centre midfield. Um, we've missed out on sure many now, but as another big player, I think, um, and another Premier League club, we can, we can go all out for this summer or next summer. So, um, like I said, I'm just pleased it's over. I'm pleased it's sorted. And I'm pleased that we're going into the first week of July soon with a new owner and a lot of money in the bank to spend on players. Yeah, because I think that was some of the key things that came out of it in terms of, um, you know, the amount of money that's potentially going to be available post sales as well. So I think there's a figure around 200 million, which I think is, a, I think it's a, you know, we look at some of the players that potentially might come in on a free transfer. Obviously we missed out on Perisic, who I think would have been a brilliant mm. sign. And I think obviously the Conte sort of Inter Milan link up, you expect someone like Conte to want him. And I think that's a really good signing for Spurs, but I just think that would have been a good signing for us. I think the fact that we've, we've obviously today, uh, Billy Gilmore's contract's been extended as well, which I think is some really good news. It kind of almost gives you the intention that, um, you know, he might be on the radar to stay at the club next season as well. But I wanted to talk around a key sign and you mentioned a couple of areas, but what would you say is potentially one of the key areas that we just, I mean, too many was, for me would have been perfect. We, we had the opportunity to sign him last season as well, which is painful because we ended, we ended up with selling the guess, which in hindsight was probably the wrong, wrong, uh, wrong signing. But what do you think about the key area that we need to potentially look at? If we had to choose one area that ideally we we need to look at and who would that signing be? Centre-back. It's got to be centre-back. You look at many of the games we played this season, we played with three at the back and that was Christensen, Rudiger, and Thiago Silva. Thiago Silva is now 37, turning 38 in September. And the other two players that I just listed have gone. They've left there. They're going to sign for Real Madrid and Barcelona. So, and if we kind of stay as it is now, that means that we'll be pairing either Malang Sar or Trevor Chaloba or Azpilicueta alongside uh, Thiago Silva. Of course, there's a potential lo- couple of that could come back, like Ethan Nampadu, like Levi Colville. But I'm not sure they'll be ready yet to play every minute of every game in the Premier League. So I think it's got to be centre-back. Jules Kunde's name has been listed a lot. It's been mentioned a lot. I have a bit some reservations around them. So I think my main target would be um, Koulibaly, Napoli's centre-back. He's 30 mm. years old, which I think is the perfect age for a centre-back. We'll be getting a good maybe four or five years of his service You know, if he performs well. He's experienced in Syria. He's always been at that top level in Syria. Actually, a funny story. When I was, I think, in the south of France, a couple, like more than a couple of summers ago, in um, when it was the summer when Antonio Conte took over for the first time at Chelsea, Koulibaly's agent, who I think he shares the same agent as Vincent Company as well, was yeah. at staying in the same hotel as me. And every day I was opening Twitter, seeing we were linked to Koulibaly. Conte wanted Koulibaly at Chelsea. And I was looking at the agent sat next to me on the Sun Lounger. And I was look, looking at him and he kept getting his phone out, going for calls, going for this. <laughs> so I was so tempted to ask him, is it going to happen? Is he signing for Chelsea? And I just kept my mouth shut in the end. But um, I think this summer's the perfect one to go all out for him. I think we can get him for a lot cheaper than we would have paid maybe in the summer of 2016, 2017, given his age given that I think he's done all he can at Napoli now and wants a new challenge. So if I had a choice, I think I'd rather Koulibaly over Jules Koundé. I think the profile, the player's profile fits the, you know, what we're going for a lot better. And I've always had the reservations of Koundé. I think he is a bit of a hothead. I still think that. I've watched a few um, French national team football games and he still has a reassured deal of confidence. So it's got to be Koulibaly for me. I mean, I I agree with you 100%. I, I do like, I mean... I'm, 
there's nothing to say we can't go for both of them. I think we, mm. we do need two centre-backs. I'll, I'll be honest. I think the fact that we still have Malang Sol as an option after last season, we, we've, we've kind of seen that he's potentially not up to the, the level that we need as a centre-back. You mentioned Thiago Silva, who for me still is arguably our best centre-back that we've got mm. at the club now as well. But we do need some more experience. And I think having both of them as options... I mean, centre-backs is definitely going to be top of the list in terms of uh, transfer targets, I think, for, uh, you know, Tuchel and the, the the club itself. But I do think central, mid, like that sort of midfield, for me, you know, we missed out on too many. Like I said, he would have been, for me, the the perfect signing, you know, the, the sort of missing piece of the puzzle. Everyone will talk about Lukaku and, you know, needing a striker. I think if we can get that midfield right, we noticed last... I mean, even Kante, I think he's on international break he's got injured again already he's a, he's been returned from the French, French national team injured so it tells you that he's overplayed we can't really go into next season with that you know constant injury sort of crisis for Kante I think you know obviously Declan Rice is the, the main target I think that a lot of people have been talking about at Chelsea and I think if we can get him at a reasonable you know not extortionate price in terms of you know 120 million or something stupid I think that for me has to be the maybe the primary. I think centre-backs is a given. I think we have to bring those in. I think, you know, we can't go into the season with Ethan Ampadu and Malang Sar as options at centre-back. We just can't. It's just, it's if we're going to be pushing for the league or going further in the Champions League or trying to win it, we're going to need some, you know, a Koulibaly or even a Jules Conde, uh, Wesley Fofana, those sort of, I mean, even Fofana, a push, I mean, you know, Leicester, Leicester aren't going to sell him for anything mm-hmm. less than maybe, you know, 70, 80 million, which you have to ask yourself that question, is it worth pay that much for Wesley Fofana personally I don't think it is but um, I think midfield is key I think we've got to assess that obviously we know Conor Gallagher's potentially another option Billy Gilmore but if we're talking about players that can step up and play you know in, in big games I think Declan Rice is one of them you know I think he'd he'd flourish at the chance to play in the Champions League as well you know um he just for me it just makes sense. What's what's your thoughts on Rice? Do you, do you think it's a, a good signing, or do you think it's one of those ones that we should try and hold out and see if we can get him on a free? I think I'd love to see him at Chelsea. I don't know whether it's going to be this summer or next summer because I still think Jorginho and Kante have something to offer at, at Chelsea. But like we saw, I mean, like we were quite fortunate in our Champions League winning campaign that we always had two of the three of Kovacic, Kante, and Jorginho fit. But this season, it was a mess. All three of them were injured at times. And then we had to play Loftus-Cheek alongside Saunagez in certain games. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't really a good kind of combination. So I think we're going to need four mid, you know, midfielders that can stay fit, that can play in those big games. Um, and with, I don't know if that is bringing Gilmore back. I think he could still benefit from another loan, maybe to a Palace or an Everton. But I do would absolutely love to see Rice. But I just know that West Ham are going to play. It's going to be very, very hard to negotiate with. They're going to maybe stick with their maybe 120 million pound price tag um that's why i'm kind of if i was someone like tukor if i was someone like mason mount i'd drop a whatsapp message to Declan rice being like listen you've got to force a move out now you've got to you've got to talk to david moyes being like i want to hand in a transfer request i want to i want to go to chelsea i want to play european football in the champions league so i think it's he's got to play a part as well to push for that move to chelsea and lower that price tag down because as it is right now 120 million is a lot of money that is a lot of money, and I don't really think he's. I think he's world class, but I don't think he's worth 120 million. Well, yeah, I know what what's good with him is you're going to be getting a player that can play arguably the next 10 years in midfield at the club, future captain as well. 
he knows what it's like to play in the Premier League. He grew up in a, around Cobham and Kingston, I think. So um, there's a part of me that knows he'll he'll hit the ground running when he comes to Chelsea. But I'm still a bit like 120 million is a lot. So if we can lower that down to maybe 90, 100, I say go for it. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think paying over the odds for him, it would be painful to do. But do you, I mean, we, 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 we've already lost out on key. I, I think back to Hakimi, I think back to Chiumeni. You know, these would have been brilliant signings for Chelsea. And we also have to think as well, I'm thinking of the Harry Kane saga with Man City last season and how that ended up. And, you know, if he had any sort of, not to say he hasn't got any sense, but if he had any sense, he would try and force that move through because if he doesn't, you know, we could end up going for someone else in 12 months time or whatever. And he could end up staying at West Ham. Not that that's a bad thing, but just in terms of, you know, does he want to play in the Champions League? He's got a World Cup coming up as well. You know, does he want to try and, you know, play in a new team and force his way into that World Cup squad a bit more? I mean, is is a given that he's probably going to go, but just for the experience of stepping up a bit more above West Ham, which is the next step, I think, in terms of his career. But um, it'd be interesting. I mean, if we pay over the odds, sometimes you've got to do that. I think, you know, sometimes you have to take the hit on those. But I, I do agree with you. I think anything over sort of 100 mil, 110, at a push 120. It's a lot yeah. of money. It's a lot. It is a lot of money. But um, he's proven, you know, we know that he's not going to come into the Premier League. You know, he's not new to the Premier League. We know what he's about as well. And I just like his work rate. I think his mm. work rate is brilliant. You know, um, even watching for England the other day, he, you know, he's just, you can just tell that he's, he's going to be a future captain for, for England as well, you know. Mm. Uh, so we'll have to see. But yeah, let's, let's move on. Let's move on to uh, the fun part of the episode. Best and worsts. <laughs> our, our uh, favourite parts of the season. So let's just kick it off straight away. Let's start with our player of the season. I'm going to let you go first. I'd imagine we've probably got some of these, like, you know, we're probably both the same because I think we, mm. we've discussed it a lot on the podcast. But I'm going to go for your player of the season first. Who, who are you going for? I mean, I know I was at the Chelsea-Watford game when they announced the player of the season at the end of a full-time and it actually turned out to be Mason Mount. I thought Mason Mount had a brilliant season. Uh, there was a period maybe after Christmas where he switched off and a bit, but I think he turned, he, he picked up some form come maybe March, March, April time again. But for me, my player of the season has got to be Thiago Silva. It's okay. got to be Thiago Silva. Like I said, he turned 37 in, um, in September. He's turning 38 of September this year. And he's, he played 4,284 minutes of football for Chelsea. Like we mentioned in the previous episode, that's the highest amount of time of game time he's ever gotten since he arrived in Europe from Brazil. And he's, he's 37. I keep repeating yeah, yeah. the age, but he's 37. Yeah. And I mean, the only other outfield player that played more, more minutes than him was to, uh, Antonio Rudiger. So he played more football than Mason Mount, almost, despite being almost double his age. So yeah, yeah. I think um, it's got to be him. There's some, he scored some big goals against Tottenham, home and away. Uh, if, I think if it wasn't for the language barrier, he'd be our captain right now. Yeah, he's, 100%. He's got that mentality. He just, he's so cool and composed on the ball. Uh, yeah, of course, he made that mistake against um, against West Brom last season, um, early on in his um, his time at Chelsea. But since then, I think he hasn't really set a foot wrong, and he's been brilliant. And I, I think it's got to be him. Uh, I think Mason Mount, maybe Kovacic, maybe even Tony, Antonio Rudiger would follow quite closely. But my player of the season's got to be Thiago Silva. Yeah, um, do you know when I was writing it down this mm. morning, I didn't actually put him on the. I did have him okay. on my list, but not as first. But um, I've gone for Kovacic. I think mm. um, I, I just think in terms of how how different we we played last season, 
with him in the team when he was injured or he was out the team we noticed that massive difference in midfield and I think he was arguably the best midfielder at the club last season um, ahead of Jorginho ahead of Kante Ruben Loftus cheap Salnagez but I just think there was key moments in games I think back to and, you know, the Liverpool game for instance those kind of games those big games where you know he just run he runs the show and we've missed that you know we've missed someone who can drive with the ball forward and make a difference in midfield and I think we like I said you know we struggled when we didn't have him in the team um you know, we were sort of crying out for him to come back as soon as he was injured. You know, you, mm. you know, you'd realise there was going to be a massive gap in that midfield. And you know, I think I, I agree with you. Know Thiago Silva, Rudiger, I think would have been on there. Um, I, I just couldn't choose him because he's left the club. <laughs> I didn't want to put him as my, uh, my my top. But I think in terms of what Silva and Rudiger did last season, you know, as a, as almost as a centre back partnership with with Ch- Trevor Chalobah as well or Christensen at times, I thought they were brilliant. Um, but I just can't overlook Kovacic for what he mm. did this season. He was such a, just a different player. You forget, you know, um, first of all, I always forget how old he is. You know, I think he's, I always feel like he's a lot older than he is. Um, and we've, we've still got many years that we can get out of him. So I think if we can keep him, bring someone in, i.e. Declan Rice, that we can play with him in midfield as well. I think it'd be even better next season. But for me, it would have been Mateo Kovacic as well. Yeah, we had to play him for injury as well in the FA Cup yeah, final because we know exactly. how important he is to us. So even if he's yeah. got a slight niggle, you, you'll still you'll, you'll play him in a way. And I think I, I briefly watched him against France in the Nations League. And again, he was superb, absolutely mm. superb. So um, I think, yeah, I'd have to, I mean, for me, I'll stick with Thiago Silva. But if I had to go for a second choice, it would have been Mateo Kovacic for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely two standouts anyway, hundred yeah. percent. But let's move to the the one I love talking about, the flop of the season. Um, now, obviously, when I say flop, yeah, we're, we're talking. I'll, I'm, I'm talking about Lukaku. Yeah, mine would be Lukaku. I think it's um, for many reasons. And uh, you know, if you've ever listened to this podcast, I'm sure you'll go back, or you've been on the YouTube, you'll hear what myself and Theo think about him. But not even just for the fee. Um, in fact, no. For the fee, I'm going to be honest, it is for the fee because when you bring someone in for a hundred million, regardless of where they play, if they're a midfield, you expect them to be brilliant in midfield. If they're a defender, defend. If they're a goalkeeper, you expect them to stop goals. If they're a striker, you expect them to put the ball in the back of the net. Yes, he was the top goal scorer for Chelsea, but that doesn't actually prove anything because it's the numbers. I mean, if he was, if he scores six goals and he's top goal scorer, it doesn't mean that he's good. It just means he's he's missed about twenty other opportunities to get more goals. Um, the attitude on and off the field hasn't helped I think as well the fact he's still pushing for this move to Inter Milan now as well um, yeah I've run out of things to talk about with him I just, I'm just, i sick of I just want him out of the club mm. <laughs> if I'm being 100% honest but I think in terms of the amount of games that he performed in there's not many where you think may bar the Arsenal game that I can honestly think of that he actually played decent so you know, for the amount of money we spent on him it's just not we haven't recouped anything back you know, and he's. I think I read today that he's um, he's top five, like top transfers in the Premier League. So twice, he, I think when he went to United, he was one of the record signings then, and obviously he was a record signing at Chelsea as well. Because I think uh, the the guy that Liverpool have just signed is it Nunes? Darwin Nunes, yeah. Yeah, so they've just signed him, and he's now formed part of that you know record transfer fees as well. But what what's your thoughts on Lukaku? I saw you slightly nod when I said his name, so I'm assuming yeah. you uh, you agree. I'm in agreement. I think when we signed him, I think it was August of last last year, we both expected him to to, to be that 20-goal-a-season man 
compete with Salah and Kane for the golden boot. I even wrote an article on the Champions Journal website. I look back at it now and I reread it and I, I see, I've got egg on my face in a way. Yeah, I'm a massive fool, but... Um, Hindsight no, force. We couldn't have known. We couldn't have known. We yeah. thought it was a match made in heaven. He said he would have only left into Milan for a club like Chelsea's back home. There was footage of him when he was a, a young teenager at Stamford Bridge. They, they replayed that footage. They, they replayed footage of him when he first signed for Chelsea in 2011. And now we're realizing that there was so much that went wrong, really. He wasn't Tuchel's first or second choice. That was, in fact, Harry Kane and Haaland. It was actually Tuchel's third choice. And even then, he was still a bit reluctant on the signing. He messed up with the whole um, interview thing, saying he wants to be back into Milan. He was forced to record an apology video. Then he, he came back, I think. He scored his first goal in the Club World Cup. And even that was a bit like it would... He was still looking a bit lethargic on the pitch. And then until that game against Wolves at Stamford Bridge, where we ended up drawing, we didn't see much from him. We didn't, we really didn't see much from him. And it was just, he, he finished the season as our top goal scorer, but that wasn't very difficult when you look at what he had. You know, the players that scored around him, Havertz and Mount, aren't really natural goal scorers that are going to score you one or two goals a game. So I think he's got to be Lukaku as the flop, not just for the price tag, not just for his, his output on the pitch, but also for just his attitude and his discipline and you know, and the lies that he fed us—it's just the lies that he fed us. And I think, as a Chelsea fan, we we defended him. I defended him until this moment right now. But mm. now I'm just getting pissed off. Really, I'm hearing of how he still wants to go to Inter Milan despite recording that apology, despite scoring against Wolves and pointing to the badge and the fans almost like he was apologising. This—he's just fed us lies. And I think he's one of those guys that's got a big ego and almost wanted to please everyone. And watch him go back to Intela and then say he wants to be back at Chelsea. He's a kid. <laughs> He's a kid. So, yeah, I think if the sooner we can move him on, the better, whether it's a loan, whether it's a permanent fee away. And we can maybe bring in someone like Gabriel Jesus, which I'm all for in a way, or someone mm. like Lewandowski, who I'm a massive fan of. We'll get him on a free as well. Someone who looks after himself, someone who's disciplined. So, yeah, flop of the season's got to be Romelu for me. No. I'm glad we agreed on that one. I was, yeah. I was scared in case we didn't, but <laughs> there was no other opportunity to to uh, add anyone else into that. But let's let's move on to best goal of the season. Um, what what was yours? What was your standout goal of the season? I think we, again, I think we've probably got the same one. Yeah, I think the Chelsea um, voting system on the app did quite a good job at showcasing all the best goals we've had this season. I think the top three for me are um, Hakim Ziyech versus Tottenham, uh, Rudiger against Brentford. But number one's got to be Kovacic against Liverpool. It's got to be just a one-touch finish on the volley, the way it hits the post and then goes in. The fact it was Liverpool, the fact that we were mounting that comeback as well. Then Pulisic scored shortly after. We were both at that game together, sat next to each other, actually. And it just felt like that goal actually just gave the crowd the energy, gave the players the energy. And um, you could just look at all the Liverpool fans' faces behind the goal in the shed end, and they were just like, bloody hell what a goal and they look shocked as well and almost scared that this could actually set the tempo now in Chelsea's favour so that was a brilliant goal and he doesn't really score often does he Kovacic but when he scores it's often a cracker so I think um, I think you're, you're in agreement with me it's got to be that one right yeah 100% I think yeah. just the the technique to do that as well is, is so hard I don't think I think people just think it's easy because you just you know you're almost smashing the ball into the goal but I think the technique the fact he was backpedalling to get it on target, the, the sort of, oh, it was just, it was just, I can't even, 
yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just a goal. I watch it back every now and again. And I just think, what a goal! Um, I think Mason Mount against West Ham would have been up there as well. Yeah, for that's, a, that's a shout. Um, that's a shout. That was a really good goal. Shame about the result, but um, yeah, I think Kovacic for me was just oh, it was just a, you know the fact that it was against Liverpool as well makes it even sweeter. But just the way that he took that goal. uh, I think I can't remember if it was Alan Shearer or Ian Wright I think Ian Wright Wright agreed I think Alan Shearer went for Mo Salah and um, against Man City and then Ian Wright went with uh, Kovacic because it's just as a striker he knows you know that is a very difficult goal to score Um, from that distance as well it's just yeah yeah, I I can't I can't sort of overlook that Mm. for me and like I said he's for me, was arguably our, one of our best players um, last season as well. So Kovacic gets the nod for me and from yourself as well. But mm-hmm. let's talk about low knees for a minute as well, because obviously we had some very good players go out on loan. Some, I think, who have moved on now. Danny Drinkwater, um, Jake Clark, Salt has moved on as well, uh, or been released from the club, I should say. Um, but who was your standout low knee that you... May 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 have not watched you know entirely for the whole season, but just in terms of some of the games that he did get to see of them. Yeah, I've been following a couple of Twitter threads and seeing some statistics of players that have performed out on loan. For me, there's three potentially that really deserve a shout. Um, Armando Broja, Southampton, he was fantastic. He's been compared to Diego Costa at times. Scored against some big teams. I think he might have scored against Arsenal or another big team. I can't remember. It might have been Tottenham actually. And he's been fantastic out on loan at Southampton. Uh, now a player that's going to come back to Chelsea this summer and arguably think, all right, now I deserve, I've proved I can play in the Premier League. I should be playing at a, you know, a, high, a better club or go out on loan and play more minutes. Another player, Levi Colwell, I think has been fantastic. Got Huddersfield to the playoff finals. Very unlucky to score that own goal against Nottingham Forest at Wembley. But I really hope that doesn't bring his confidence down because he's another player that could potentially, if we, we don't get the likes of Koulibaly, and Kunde, a player that could come back and maybe play a role at Chelsea next season. But my number one's got to be Conor Gallagher. It's got to be Conor Gallagher. I think um, he was good at West Brom uh, two seasons ago, but I really feel like he stepped up at Crystal Palace um, this season. And I think his kind of loan journey has been fantastic. He started off at Charlton, then he was almost too good for that level at Charlton, who were kind of just above the relegation um, zone in the championship, or they might have even been League One, I can't remember. Went out to Swansea in January, then he went to West Brom last season, and then he did. He, well, he spent um, this season now on a uh, loan at um, Crystal Palace. Brilliant player, almost like a box-to-box midfielder, which we haven't really seen at Chelsea since maybe a Frank Lampard. Uh, he can provide goals, assists. He's he's strong as well for his build and his his size. So I really think um, he needs to be integrated into this Chelsea team. And before we even consider um, bringing players in, we should look at what we've currently got. And I think that number one player that we've currently got in terms of performance and ability arguably over a player like Billy Gilmore is is Conor Gallagher. Yeah, it's a tough one because I feel there's, like I said, obviously we've got a really good um, you know, youth development set up and we've also got players that are in the first team that potentially should be you know, should be staying and playing in our first team as well. But I agree with you. I think Conor Gallagher for me was, was outstanding. I've gone for two other players that, um, just because I knew he was going to go, I, I knew he's potentially going to be on your list, but... Um, for me, there was obviously Ampadu was Ethan Ampadu yeah. was a, a really good player that I got to see off because just watching Serie A every now and again, um, and just seeing some of the games, he, I feel like he's developed as he's been over there. Um, even just vocally watching some of the games, and he's almost a captain. You know, he's, he's vocally instructing players on the pitch what to do defensively. 
that's one of the key things you need to be able to do as a defender, um, you know, is to be vocal um, and, and to, to almost be a captain without the armband on. And I think he'd done that. And defensively as well, I think he, you know, he's definitely more switched on, even watching him for Wales um, during the Nations League as well. You know, he's he's one of these players that I think, maybe not at Chelsea, but I think if he was to move on somewhere else, I think he'd be, you know, he'd go on to be a, a really good player, um, develop even more. He's so well. versatile, isn't he, as well? Centre-back, yeah, yeah. right-back, central yeah. midfield, CDM. Yeah, he can play. And this is why, as well, the other player I've gone for, I like players who can do that. You know, we need players that we, we're able, very much like Chalibur. You know, Chalibur can play defence mm-hmm. or he can play the, sort of the DM role as well. But um, the other player I've gone for is Henry Lawrence, who's yeah. a player that was... Um, coming through the youth set up he's done really really well um very really good bright talent can play left back right back center back uh wing wingers defensive mid he can play pretty much everywhere probably a striker as well um but he went on loan to Wimbledon AFC Wimbledon and I think it was I can't remember when he got injured but he, he got injured and just struggled to get back in the team but he's he's someone that I think will have the talent to go for maybe not Chelsea but I think He's definitely one that's got talent. He's, he's he needs to be either in the championship. I think that would be his level next season. If he doesn't stay at Chelsea, which I doubt he will, um, when I say stay, I mean I think we'll loan him out somewhere else. Um, and I think a championship club would, would be silly not to pick him up because he's that good. He's he's very young still, but I think he's got the the talent to go even further. I think, in my opinion, so uh, they they would have been my key out, outstanding ones. I think, um, and obviously the ones you mentioned, you know, Brojo, um, Levi Cowell as well. I think were the were the other key ones as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought um, Ian Matson as well, Coventry uh, mm-hmm. done done well. I think he I think he struggled to the back end of the season though, um, and I can't really remember. And to be honest, I, I stopped following Coventry because I thought I, I wanted them to get promoted and they. They were in the playoffs at one point and they just dropped off. So mm. I'll be honest, I didn't really watch much of Coventry. But yeah, my, my key standouts would have been um, Ampadu and Henry Lawrence. Yeah, no, it's a good lesson when you're talking about Ampadu again. New language, I doubt he spoke Italian before heading out to, to Venice. New challenge, new country, new league. Uh, he's about to play for the Wales at the World Cup this this. Um, this, uh, this winter this summer <laughs> yeah it was on the tip of my tongue this winter it's this this december this winter now and um but yeah i think uh, like you mentioned maybe now he's about to perform at that highest level he'll want to play for a club at the highest level whether that's chelsea or somewhere else but i definitely think he's got a future at chelsea just because that, that versatile aspect he can bring we're going to need to fill in those gaps sometimes at midfield right back um right center back center back it's there's going to be so many options yeah. for him and with the depth as well we're going to need next season in terms of a fixture almost every three, four days again, because they're going to try to squeeze in fixtures midweek to make up for the time lost at the World Cup. Um, I think we're going to need him. Him and Gallagher are the two I'd bring back. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I'd agree. I think he's proven that he can play at that level, you know, albeit abroad, but I think he can still have a, you know, a massive role to play uh, at Chelsea. Let's, let's move on to flop of the season in terms of a low knee. Um, there shouldn't really be many, but, in fact, I've actually just thought of one in my head um, as well, but I'm going to let you go first. I'll, I'll let you start this one off. I think it's just players when you think of flops that have gone out on loan. Because you look at players maybe like Matson that started off, that maybe finished the season quite poorly, but you still know that they've got a bright future, you feel. But when I'm looking, when I'm thinking flops of players that are arguably now in their late 20s that have played in the Premier League or at a decent level and have gone out on loan and haven't shown 
whether it's discipline reasons or ability reasons that they're worthy of coming back to Chelsea and playing a role for next season. Players that haven't maybe even featured under Thomas Tuchel, so it's kind of almost an opportunity for them to redeem themselves. But they've done they've shown they've done no favors to themselves with their performances out on loan this year. And there are two that stand out for me. It's um, in the Serie A, Timo Bakayoko. I feel like the only thing I've seen of him this season is him coming out of a cigar when when, Siri, <laughs> when AC Milan won the Serie A. And I almost forgot that this guy existed in my head. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I just saw him like, and I was thinking the arrogance of this guy to come out of a cigar when he's probably hasn't even kicked the ball since November, October. And then the other one is, is Michi Batshuayi. I feel like we haven't seen much of him. He's playing in Turkey now with Besiktas. I thought he was doing quite well from what I was seeing on his Instagram his, when he was posting after games and victories. But then following up on a Twitter thread I saw recently, I think he was given a 2.5 out of 10 as the rating, which I maybe I took with a bit of a pinch of salt. But I feel like, again, a player now that you're just wondering, what is his level? Where does he go next? He, I know he gets picked to play for Belgium from time to time, but I don't feel like Belgium have much depth in their squad as well. Mm. And the manager always picks you know, those experienced players over the, maybe the youngsters. So, um, so yeah, I think a player either we've got to to move on this summer if someone's willing to take him off our books, but no future at Chelsea for both of those players, in my opinion. Yeah, and I'd have to agree. They were, well, Bakayoko was my first choice and I had um, in brackets uh, Mitzi Batshuayi because I just think he's had a number of opportunities to to prove himself, not just at Chelsea. Obviously, he scored, I think he scored the winning, the goal at West Brom, didn't he? So mm. I will give him his credit for that, but... Um, I think he's had enough opportunities to to prove himself, to show that he he can force his way into you know a Chelsea squad, and he just doesn't do it. You know, he doesn't do it. I don't think he. I mean, I haven't can't remember his record at Palace, but I can't imagine. I can't remember it being brilliant. Otherwise, they would have potentially signed them. I think I think um, he did well the first time he went out on loan there, and then he hardly got three goals. I think, and there's the yeah. second time he went out on loan there. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, they were my two. Um, I didn't want to add anyone like, and the one I just thought about. And not for the reasons that they played poorly, which is Billy Gilmore, because I think mm. the reason it flopped was just because of the, it was just the wrong club to send him to. You know, I think Norwich was, obviously there was that sort of weird sort of fallout with Gilmore and uh, Daniel Fark at one point, I think as well. It just, just felt a bit weird. And then I think he's, it was just, a, and obviously the fans sort of turned on him as well. It's just a weird, so not in terms of ability for Billy, Billy Gilmore, because we know he's got the ability to, you know, to go on to be one of the best. But I just think in terms of the actual deal, um, you know, it was definitely a, a loan mm. deal that flopped, in my opinion. It wasn't It wasn't the right move for both parties, I felt. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going back to Batshuayi. I'm just thinking now, he's been on loan at Crystal Palace twice, Borussia Dortmund, Valencia, Besiktas, and none of those clubs have fancied signing him, which says a lot, in my opinion. He reminds me of uh, Anthony Martial, because he's almost yeah. that sort of, um, how many clubs do you want? And... Mm. You know, he did, he, I mean, where did he end? I think, did he go to, was it, wasn't it, was it Sevilla? Sevilla, Sevilla, yeah. Yeah. And, he, you know, he didn't even register an assist there, I feel. I think they just said they don't want to, they don't want to yeah. keep him. He's not good enough to play at the club. And you almost feel like Mitsu is in that bracket as well, that they're just, they're just players that have one or two decent games or they, they do something decent in one game. And, you know, um, and I think he had the quality to, to potentially be at Chelsea at one point. But I just think, like you said, some, some players are more interested about, you know, um, I know he had like a, a massive affiliation with like the Batman stuff and, you know, <laughs> all that, the, the social media side of things sometimes takes over people's ability to actually play football. Yeah, and probably the does only, that. The only, yeah, the only reason he signed for Valencia because they had the bat maybe in it, in the club yeah, logo. It's just, <laughs> it's, just uh, it, it's, it's a shame because obviously he's got the quality, he's a professional footballer, but he just doesn't, 
produce enough to to warrant staying at Chelsea, in my opinion. But um, let, let's let's move on. We've got a couple more to do. Mm. Um, best match. I'll let you go first. Mm. I was, I, I've got a few in my mind. I think I was going to say the Chelsea Liverpool the two two simply because you can the, only pick one. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, this, this one's throwing me off because I feel like I'm going to say the wrong thing. I've got. I mean, I've got one already. Oh, you, go I, I was, you, you go first then. I would have said Juventus game. Yeah, yeah, I expected, yeah, yeah. I expected yeah. more from Juventus, and it was just a game that I was. I thought was going to be much more of a struggle. Um, I did have the Liverpool in my head, mm. but we we just didn't win it. So I, yeah. I don't know if I can put that as my my first. But yeah. in terms of Juventus, I expected a lot more from them, and the way we turned them over, um, free Cob Cobham sort of graduates on the score mm. sheet as well. I think it would have been Ruben Loftus Cheek. I think for the for the fourth goal that assisted Werner, I think. Or was it Callum yeah. Hudson-Odoi? I can't remember now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that would have been my goal, my, my, yeah. my game, because I just think we, we we battered them, we hammered them. And it could have been more than four. It could have easily exactly. been more than four. Yeah, Exactly. And it was, um, yeah, it was just a, a weird game. You know, these sort of big players that we we know from in terms of Juventus and um, they, you know, they didn't put out a weak squad. Um, yeah. It was a, a really good Juventus squad to, to beat them 4-0 at home for me is arguably the best game of the season. No, I'd have to agree. For me, I was, that was probably the one I was thinking I was trying to like unlock that little part of my brain I could pull that one out because I, I was at Stamford Bridge that day and I was just yeah, so same. impressed with the football we were playing. Um, champagne football, I think Joe Cole described it like when Ruben Loftus cheek was just dribbling players in the box and um, like you mentioned, it wasn't a bad event side. It's players that we've been linked to across the years, the likes of Alexandro, Rabiot, Dabala was, was might play. have played a part, yeah, and Morata was on the pitch. Yeah. Morata, you know, ex-Chelsea player. Yeah. I've got another one, it's a weird one, but even the game at the Bernabeu where we lost, I just felt like the football yeah, we, yeah. we played at times was some of the best football we'd ever seen. I think it came a couple of days after when we beat Southampton 6-0. Yeah. And it almost felt like, what? where was this in the last couple of months? Where was this football when we needed it the most? And I know we lost that game in, in Madrid, but I think when, when Timo Werner scored that third goal, I think the joy we experienced at that exact moment, we thought this is happening. We're actually going to, we're going to, we're going to qualify. We're going to keep a clean sheet. We should have as well. We should have. Yeah. And even Pulisic and Jorginho had big chances towards the end. So I think um, we didn't win that game. We lost, we didn't qualify. So I think it, I can't play, I can't play as my top, but, um, but no, for me, it's, I'm actually, we did win the game, but we didn't win mm. on aggregate. Yeah. 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 But um, no, four nil Chelsea Juventus at Stanford bridge, free Cobham Academy boys scoring. It's got to be that one. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's let's talk about your worst game of the season. And again, I've got one straight in my head already. Uh, I did write it down earlier, but there's only one that short. There's two. There's two I've got, and I'm gonna I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. Uh, go for it. Go for it. So, my first one was Brentford. Yeah, four yeah. one. Yeah, so that was just die. I mean, I think we took the lead. I'm sure it was that yeah. a really good game. Yeah. So we took the lead and then we just collapsed in the second half. I think it was like a, I think it was like a, a moment of like 10 minutes in the game. Um, just after half time, I think maybe an hour into the game and we just folded and it was just diabolical. It was absolutely diabolical. It didn't feel um, real. It didn't feel real, did it? No, no, no. So I think that was the worst. And the other one was Everton at Goodison. That was probably the worst, but as much as the result hurt me more in the Brentford, it was 4-1 and we were leading. But the, the, the football we played against Everton at Goodison was probably the worst football 
I think I even said that on the video, mm. uh, the the match review. But it's the worst football I think I've I've watched of Chelsea in a very very long time. Um, it was just poor from start to end. Yeah, even the the reverse fixture at home against Everton, mm. when it just felt like it, we had every reason to beat Everton that day. They were playing some abysmal football, and it was I think November December time, and they managed to snatch a draw in the end. It's yeah. just it felt like so such a die-up game even the, the two games against United as well where we should be mm. battering them given their form and we had a, a, so many chances but again not clinical enough and draws in both games but I think um, I'm going to have to agree just that Brentford game simply because we just didn't know what was happening to us and if I had to compare it to a game last season it would have to have been that West Brom one where we lost 5-2 at Stamford yeah. Bridge yeah. almost like a lapse in concentration you've got some experienced defenders on the pitch like Thiago Silva and Rudiger and even Edouard Mendy, I think, had a had a shocker that day. Like all our players, you can usually count on just didn't perform, just switched off uh, offensively again. I can't really remember a big shot and target other than the Rudiger one. So I'm going to have to go with that one. I think. And I was, yeah. I was at Stamford Bridge that day, and it kind of it pained me. It hurt me. I think that was the one where um, Ericsson was just left unmarked. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I can't oh. remember if it was that game, but I think he was left unmarked, and he just almost walked it into the the back of the net it was like everyone was scared to tackle him which is yeah. weird but yeah I think for me that was the worst um, the one that pained me the most but the, the last one we've got um, is the sort of the best moment so it doesn't have to be a game it could just be it could be anything and I've uh, again you know I've got one when you mentioned it earlier I've got one stuck in my head already but what was your best moment in terms of the, the season as a whole? Obviously there's some joyful moments like the Super Cup and the, the Club World Cup, but it was almost like momentum building up to that moment. I'm not going to mention any of the Wembley games because they ended up being <laughs> heartbreaking. But it's a weird one. It's not. It's just a single Premier League game in a single moment. But when Havertz scored the winner in injury time against Newcastle at home, mm, yeah, it just felt, I don't know, there was something about that game I was just so pleased about. And I think I haven't celebrated a goal that much in a very, very long time, maybe along with the Pulisic one against West Ham. It's a last minute winner. There was something so special about it. And because I think it was the day after the whole announcement of the sanctions as well, it felt, you know what, despite all these sanctions, we're Chelsea, we're still going to fight, we're still going to carry on. And it just showed the resilience of the players, the fans, the club. So for me, that goal just, it almost sums up the whole season as a whole. In a way, just uh, we gave it our all, despite things being very, very tough at times. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Um, But yeah, that goal for me, and it was a brilliant goal as well. Amazing pass from Jorginho. Great finish from Havertz. So I think it was uh, Chelsea, Chelsea, Newcastle, Havertz on the 12th of March, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was a really good game. And you're right, I think after the, the sanctions, obviously there was a lot of banter flying around on the internet. And, you know, we were going to be sort of not being able to travel to team, uh, on sort of team <laughs> hotels and planes and all that stuff as well. So I think obviously there was a lot of overcast around the club at the time to still get that result albeit sort of last minute of the game. I think that was, was it was perfect, perfect way to end that game. But mine would have been the Club World Cup just mm. because it was the trophy that we, we, we as Chelsea fans, we really wanted. Um, albeit, I think we won in extra time. I think it was Havertz that scored the penalty, penalty wasn't it? I think, yeah. in extra time, didn't he? So I think, um, yeah, and a lot of people sort of just turn their nose up to the Club World Cup because they don't necessarily understand the importance of it, um, especially in England. It's not really a... a you know, unless you're in it, you're not. Re- you don't really care about it. But I think the fact that we always wanted it, um, we'd be we'd attempted to try and win it previously as well. Um, 
and and we finally got it. It's almost like the you know the p- final piece of that puzzle of, of winning everything and the likes of Aspiliqueta been able to say that he's won every single trophy possible at Chelsea as well. Um, those kind of things for me, just even if he does end up leaving and going to Barcelona, at least we can we can say that he's going away as a legend of the club as well. So I think those kind of things for me is just, you know, you, we don't know when we're going to get the opportunity to do that again. So the fact that we've lived it, we've seen our club lift the Club World Cup, priceless. Brilliant moment, yeah. I didn't realise how nervous I was for that game until I woke up that morning, made a cup of coffee and my hand was almost shaking because I was pretty <laughs> nervous. So um, so yeah, I think that one would probably rank uh, quite highly on my list as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But it's been it's been a good season. It's been up and down, of course. You know, we've had the highs, we've had the lows, we had the anger, we've had the euphoric, euphoric moments as well. Um, but it's yeah, Chelsea I mean, Football Club for us. It's another day say, being right? a fan of Chelsea Football Club. You wouldn't want it any other way uh, at Chelsea. <laughs> we, we we do better under pressure and in crisis anyway, so it's, it's a good thing. But um, looking forward to next season, obviously. I'm sure we'll have some other ad hoc podcast episodes that we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks until the Premier League's back. There's obviously the, the fixtures come out on Thursday. I think I said on my previous video um, they were at today. I just I'm just excited for football, so I just <laughs> wanted to fast forward to Thursday. But um, yeah, they'll be out Thursday, so there'll be a video I'm sure for that as well. Um, but Theo, as always, thanks for joining me from the shed end. Thank you all for watching. Make sure you subscribe to the channel, like I said earlier, and Spotify, all the social accounts as well. Don't forget those, and we'll be back very soon. Thanks for listening.